um, we finished what had been a long study in the book of Revelation. It's just something, um, I know we reflected on it a little bit last week, but there's just, to, you almost, you get to the mountaintop at the end of a study like that, and you're able to look back and see all the things you've covered, um, and not only see the little parts, but the big picture. Uh, there's something so rewarding about that. I hope you're able to just, that, that you would feel some little bit of that. I certainly feel that as the one leading us through that study as we finish the book of Revelation. Tonight we're going to the other side. We're going to the Old Testament. Um, not beginning a new study tonight. We're gonna be taking a, a short break before we begin a new study. We've got a couple different things in the works, but we are in the book of Proverbs tonight. And uh, on Sunday, I was reflecting on just the, the unique age that we live in. Um, and I'm doing that this week. I don't know why. It's just been very much on my mind. I, I study history, and so there is always this sense in which I, I'm able to compare our own age to different eons, you know, different epochs throughout history. And it, tonight and today as I'm thinking about this um, and studying for our time tonight as I offer you this word of exhortation, I'm just struck by the fact that we live in a time of just information overload. We have, uh, we have more information in the palm of our hands than ancient people could hold in an entire library. It's just a remarkable thing. Truly, I mean, as the expression says, at our fingertips, but literally, at our fingertips. Um, through, through the internet, and then just the multiple sources of media, whether it's a TV, whether it's another screen that we're looking at when we're at the, the gas pump or whatever, is we're, we're bombarded and surrounded by sources of media that are also giving us information all the time, constantly encountering information. Um, but as I thought about that, and, and this is an observation that many have had, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to make the case, having said all that, all the information, all the resources that we have, and I thank God for that, you know, going back to the printing press and the fact that we're able to all of a sudden just expedite the process of printing and all the proliferation in the last 500 years, but especially in the digital revolution, the last, you know, 50 years or so, you'd, you'd still be hard-pressed to make the case that we are any wiser today than we were in times past. Wisdom is, 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 is an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, just as a, as a cultural observer, uh, it's hard to, to avoid the observation that wisdom seems to be Maybe even, and I don't say this as a pessimist, I say this as someone who's really trying to look at the situation as it is, we might even say that wisdom is increasingly in short supply in the world today. It's a truly ironic thing. As Christians, we must know that God calls us to pursue wisdom, not just as it's a good thing, but a thing that we should pursue, that we should be driving after. Not merely a thing for a few people, the, the, the aged person that we look at as a sage, but truly for all of us as Christians, something that we should be pursuing with a passion. And so if you're there in Proverbs, go to chapter 2, just those first few pages there, Proverbs chapter 2. And the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom, and I think we're, we're all familiar with that. Most of you have read the book of Proverbs, maybe you've read it multiple times, at least certain parts of it. Um, it begins with a call to wisdom. Actually, if you even just glance at chapter one, we're not gonna read it, but chapter one is this, this great call to wisdom, right? Um, wisdom is personified as calling out in the streets. Look at verse 20, chapter one, verse 20. Uh, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. A couple verses down, verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So there is this, this calling to wisdom. And then as we get over to chapter two, where we're really gonna be more so focused tonight, um, 
Solomon, the author here, is reflecting on the value of wisdom. In fact, that's even just the little header there in most English translations. The edition there will have the value of wisdom there. And it really does characterize well what Solomon's doing here. And that's where I want us to go tonight. So let's read it. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways, the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering uh, you from the way of evil, from men of per, uh, perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. There's a whole lot that we could look at, really. I mean, each verse, really, there's quite a bit compact in it. Verses 11 through 15 are a little bit more of a unit, but a lot of these, there's, there's a lot there that we could look at. But I'm just going to kind of reflect on some highlights, kind of look at some cliff notes uh, as, we, as we do this and reflect together. And I certainly welcome your insight, your thoughts as we go through this um, because there's, there's a lot here and we'll just kind of just think through it to, together a little while and I pray that it's a blessing to you and an encouragement and exhortation as we seek wisdom. In verses one through five, he's continuing the theme that we just kind of glanced at in, ver- in chapter one, really this, this call to wisdom. So he continues this theme, of, this theme of seeking out after wisdom. He says basically wisdom is here Come and get it. It's here for the taking. If you want it, it's here. It's available to you. Again, not merely for this one sage or for this one person, um, but here for all. Come, come and get it. And then in verse 5, and again, we could look at each of those verses there, but I'm kind of just giving an overview here. There's quite a bit for us to look at in verse 5. It makes this, this fascinating connection between wisdom and the fear of God. Now, that theme comes up a lot in the book of Proverbs, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord, the fear of God. If you go back to, just flip over there, actually, to chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It is the beginning of knowledge. That's really deep stuff, isn't it? Why would the fear of the Lord, and we could spend a whole lot of time talking about what that means, I think we usually have a pretty good base understanding of it, a fear of reverence, a fear of awe and who God is and just rightly understanding who he is and us in light of that. There's a lot there. It is the beginning of knowledge. And then in chapter 1, verse 29, glance down a little bit farther, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. And so he's continuing on. In other words, the hatred of knowledge ultimately is connected here to rejecting the fear of of the Lord. Fascinating. Do you have any thoughts on that as we, as we look at this, this theme of the, the fear of the Lord connected to wisdom? Maybe this is something you've given thought to. Thoughts on that? 
me, Bonnie. That's all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. It's that right orientation, isn't it? Did everyone catch that for the most part from Mickey? Thinking about, uh, so in our study, in fact, I'm going to come to the Sermon on the Mount here in a little bit. There's a lot of wisdom in there, isn't there? Ultimately, if you seek the Lord first, these other things will be taken care of. They, They too will be given to you. The fear of the Lord, this important posture, if we get that right, if we get this orientation right, so much else is going to be right. Um, so it's, it's day one stuff, right? Good. Any other thoughts on the fear of the Lord? Okay, question then. How do we find wisdom then? According to Solomon, according to what we've just read, how do we find wisdom? Okay, Paul, you said wisdom is good. Okay, we've got this orientation about the fear of the Lord. Okay, but how do we... What is the source of wisdom? How do we get it? Verse six, look at verse six. Um, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then it's continuing on. He stores up wisdom and so on and so forth. Just ultimately that God himself is the source of wisdom. And now, now hopefully on one hand that sounds to us like, well, yeah, of course, but only we can say, oh yeah, of course. It's, it's an interesting thing that in the modern world, um, and I'm gonna come back in a minute and talk about, again, basically how do we receive that from the Lord if the Lord is a source. We'll talk about scripture and so on. But it's just an interesting thing that in the modern world, so much, so we've, okay, try not to chase this too much, but we've got the modern age, and then we've got what's often called post the postmodern age, and they're not really ages so much as they are movements. I mean, they overlap a little bit. But in the modern age, think like the last 300 years or so, a little more than that, 350 years or so, people began, especially educated, intelligent, leading people in society, really like to make the point that, that we can be completely capable of our, on our own. We don't need religion. It's not saying religion's bad, but we don't need it. It's optional. You can have it if you want. Um, even government. We don't need the government. We can do things on our own, so that's where limited government comes from. Um, good and bad. It's ultimately this movement of autonomy. We can do things on our own. We don't need tradition. We don't need things handed down to us by you know, older people before us. We can do things on our own. And it's this, this great emphasis on autonomy and our ability. We are so intelligent as human beings. Um, they didn't often reflect on how or why that is. They still believed in God for the most part in the early years. But, but again, but we don't need him. God gave us and set us up so well. He let us off and re- we can seek all this on our own. And so again, it's this, we don't need God for wisdom. We can reason our way through all of this. We can reason our way um, to understand the human body. We can reason our way through ethics to know what is good and right. We don't need scripture. We don't need these things that our society has done, so we don't need to conform to the norms around us. Now, you get to the postmodern age, and there's actually questioning of that. Oh, maybe we can't know as much as we thought. And so they're not totally, I mean, it's not that one is right and one is wrong. Both of them have problems, but that's the world that shaped us, uh, that, that we live in today. We have no need for those things. We are independent. We are autonomous. And yet, the Bible tells us, and again, I think as we look at our world out there and we see the deficiency of wisdom that is there, the evidence is before our eyes that it is God who gives us wisdom. He is the source of wisdom. Sometimes in his common grace, he gives wisdom to people who don't know him, right? So you don't have to be a Christian to do heart surgery, right? So that's God's common grace. You don't have to be a Christian to know how to grow tomatoes, 
right? So atheists can grow tomatoes probably better than I can. I'm not very good at gardening. And so there's, there's God's common grace in that. And yet wisdom itself, he is still the source of it. And so we can pretend that he's not. We can pretend he's not there. But at the end of the day, and so there's so many connections that come out of this. He, he makes connections here between wisdom and integrity, right? You see that in verse, um, goodness, in verse 7, verse 8, there's, this, um, there's a whole theme there about the connection between wisdom and right living. So morality, or let's say immorality, okay, the opposite of morality, it is, a, it is connected to a lack of wisdom. Why do the immoral, why do the wicked live the way they do? Well, there's a lot of things we could say about that, but at least part of it is they lack wisdom. Verse 9, um, and we can come back to that, please, if, if y'all have thoughts on that. But verse 9 is connected to this. We see that wisdom um, is needed to understand. Look at these important things, righteousness, justice, equity. Now, if you don't hear those words floating around in our society, you must be living in a cave somewhere. Everyone is asking questions about that. What is righteousness? What is, what is good? What is, what, is, what is justice? What is equality? And sometimes people have views on those things that make us go, huh, what is that? What? But they're asking these questions. And again, for those who, who don't follow God, those who, have not, who do not belong to the church, those who are not Christians, you know, they're trying to reason through on their own. They're trying to figure out what is justice, whether it relates to race or economics or whatever it is, moral issues, abortion, all these things. What, what is right? What is just? They're trying to reason their way through. Um, and yet we as Christians, just a reminder to me as we go through this, as, as men and women who know the importance of wisdom and have the, the source of wisdom, you know, that, that we should be having a voice on these things today. Now, maybe, we, maybe they're still difficult. I'm not saying they're not complex. It's not that, oh, you have the Bible, you have the answer for everything. No, no, there's sometimes hard work to be done. And yet we, above all people, should have a voice on this. It's our, it's our prophetic role as Christians. Um, think back to the Sermon on the Mount. Nikki was mentioning it, um, that we're called to be salt and light in this world, right? Well, that's part of this. Not merely our good deeds. Those are essential. We must do good deeds. And yet also our words, right? Um, again, I, I would just mention abortion just as one issue. You realize that in the ancient world, abortion was more common than it is today. Very common. Not usually through surgery, but through the baby being born and being thrown out in a dumpster. I mean, truly. Uh, if the baby wasn't the gender you wanted, if the baby looked a little deformed, or, or just whatever reason, you just said, we've got five kids, we don't need another one. There was no second thought of throwing the baby in a, in a trash heap. They didn't have dumpsters, per se, but in a trash heap. And you know what Christians did? They went and took those babies, and they raised them. And the Romans looked at the Christians, and the Greeks looked at the Christians and said, what in the world is wrong with you? And at first, they didn't understand. It was so strange. Those, those babies, they're a waste. We, we don't need them. And so Christians, by their action, so they had action, took these children, cared for them, and raised them their own. The Romans are so freaked out, they say, not only do they raise their own kids, they're raising our kids. They're taking care of our sick people. It was the elderly as well. And when the plague came, everybody left except for the Christians. They would stay and care for those who could not care for themselves. And so there was action involved, and yet there was also words. The Christians said, this is why we're doing this. This is why these children's lives have value. This is why on and on and on. And so by the time, of course, Christianity is enabled to eventually infuse society, abortion disappears essentially. 
Not, not entirely, it's not that you could ever say it goes away entirely, but it no longer has the opportunity that it did before. So wisdom, it shows us what is just, what is good. And we ourselves, we are, we are to seek these things, we're to seek God's understanding, and then to be salt and light in the world around us. I know that our brother and sister here could talk to us about what that looks like on the mission field. Right? When you're in a place where you know, uh, the, they have drastically different worldviews, you, know, you have so many stories about what that looks like, and yet the opportunity to be salt and light in that environment. Uh, verses 11 through 15, I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper into some of this stuff, the way, that, um, the way that wisdom is also a means of protection and well-being. Look at verse 11. Discretion will watch over you understanding will guard you. So again, it's personified, just like it was calling out. Now it's watching over you. It's, it's guarding you. See the importance of wisdom and what it looks like when a society lacks wisdom, when a family lacks wisdom, when a, when a business or a workplace lacks wisdom. What does it look like? In verses um, 12 through 15, it kind of offers another angle. Um, he's depicting what the opposite looks like. The unwise person who does evil Right? Uh, who walks in darkness, who rejoices in evil, who is devious in their ways, kind of verses 12, 13, 14, 15, kind of highlighting those there. So this is what wisdom, the opposite of wisdom looks like, that, the lack of insight, the lack of understanding, those who are without God. Proverbs isn't the, the only place in the Bible, of course, that focuses on wisdom. There's, there's several books that we would usually call our, our wisdom literature, we could look at Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and then there are certain parts of the Psalms and so on that would certainly be in sort of the wisdom category. Uh, but again, think about our sermon series uh, in this, on the Sermon on the Mount. It, Jesus, as he's doing this now, it's easy for us to forget because we're kind of, we're real close now. We've been looking at it for a long time. But when we look at the big picture of what the Sermon on the Mount is, Jesus is offering a philosophy of life. He's saying, this is how you should live in this world. In light of the coming kingdom, in light of you being my people in this, this broken world, this is how you should then live. That's wisdom. That's actually the definition of wisdom. Wisdom's not merely the downloading of information. There are plenty of people that have a whole lot of information and have no wisdom of how to use it. So it's more than just, I know a lot of facts. Computers know a lot of facts, right? They're not wise. And so there's something deeper here, but wisdom being good judgment the right way to live, to know how to handle a situation. Uh, Joy and I will often talk to, to our kids, you know, if they have a difficult situation at school or if they run into something in the neighborhood or whatever it is, to teach them that you need to have wisdom to know how to respond. Do you stand up for yourself or do you run away? Depends, right? Um, do you speak or do you hold your tongue? Depends. What does it depend on? Wisdom in that moment, in that situation. Sometimes you speak up. Sometimes you hold your tongue. Sometimes you speak up after. How do you know? The book of Proverbs often, it'll, uh, again, at least ostensibly on the surface, it'll contradict itself. It'll say, speak to a fool. Don't speak to a fool. How do you know how to apply that? Wisdom. It depends on the situation. Uh, it's a lack of wisdom that says you always respond one way in every situation. That's what a fool does. That's what a person does who responds on impulse and on the flesh. And so, so we think about this tonight, the importance of wisdom. Um, I just want to at least whet your appetite for that. And perhaps you'll dig into the book of Proverbs 
Maybe eventually we'll do a series where we work through some of these key texts in the book, but so much that is there for our edification. And we know on this side, you know, again, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, thinking on this side of redemption, um, ultimately what is coming, what God is doing, how he is at work. Um, and so yet, as, as we go on living as God's people in this world, let's do so with wisdom. Let's encourage one another in wisdom. Sometimes wisdom is found in two people coming together and saying, hey, I've got this issue. Would you help me think about it? Brother, would you pray with me about this issue? I need wisdom to deal with this difficult situation at work or in my family, with my kid, with my spouse. That's wisdom. All of it is. Good judgment. How to live. How to handle yourself in a situation. You ever hear that expression? He knows how to handle himself. Now, we usually mean that like in a physical way, like he can, he can protect himself. But even in wisdom, we, we can speak and use that language. He knows how to handle himself if he's confronted. You know? uh, he knows how to handle himself um, if he's you know, experiencing what could be a compromise of his morals. He knows how to handle himself and so on. So may the Lord grant us all wisdom. Um, thoughts on any of that? Going back to what I was saying about its connection to righteousness, thinking about justice or, or going back to, again, the source of our wisdom. I wanted, if we had more time, I wanted to go back and talk about just ultimately Scripture being that source. God is a source of wisdom. And of course we have access to God independently through our prayers, um, through communion of the Holy Spirit, through our worship together. And yet as far as, as things go in terms of uh, what is often called propositional knowledge, the things are given to us in the Scriptures. Now, it's not to say God can't speak to us. It's not to say God can't give us an impression. We pray that God would guide us and speak to us subjectively in that way, personally, individually. And yet God speaks to us objectively. That means authoritatively, unchangingly, clearly to all of us in his unchanging word. So I can at least say that. But Any, any questions or, or thoughts as we go through this? Yeah, Glenn. <laughs> I know plenty of fools that have PhDs. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amen. Amen. Everyone hear that for the most part? I mean, just, just a great word about the way that wisdom doesn't always translate to the things that we would expect, a, a set of degrees or a title or sometimes not even an age. I mean, oftentimes wisdom, and this is me speaking now, not Glenn, but oftentimes wisdom is associated with age, but not necessarily. Um, and not necessarily set to the person who, again, has the Harvard degree and so on and so forth. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a great sermon uh, by one of my mentors, his name was Greg Wills, and uh, it's called A Fool Who Knows Latin. If you go on YouTube and Google A Fool Who Knows Latin, powerful sermon, and it's basically all about that. The guy who, who is intelligent um, and articulate 
and thoughtful, but yet by his life and by the things and the ways that he lives, he shows that he's a fool. He's not wise. Um, and so again, even there, wisdom is not always, it's, um, it's, it's more subtle. Subtle's not even the right word. It's just different than what worldly wisdom sometimes looks like. Um, you could have someone who looks you know, put together on the outside um, or someone who on one hand is just a simple, humble, third grade educated person but is yet godly and full of wisdom and insight through God's grace, through seeking it and so on and so forth. And so it doesn't, I guess I, what I would wanna say is that wisdom doesn't abide by the same rules that our world does. Yeah, Bob, did you have a thought, brother? That's great. So yeah, brother. Like yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why oftentimes wisdom is connected to age because you need to have lived some of these things, right? And so for, for, as an analogy, when I was teaching and working in education, I mean, this was something not only I saw, but the experts always told me, a student will remember more from a question that he missed than those he gets right. Because you remember your failures. You remember, ah, oh, man, how did I get that wrong? How did I mess up with that? And it sticks in you. It jars in your brain. And so, yeah, you, you learn, you know, and sometimes it's difficult and painful. And yet, yeah, there's wisdom to be gained. Um, Charles Spurgeon has this great quote. I can't think word for word. But basically, it says something, if I can paraphrase it, um, that we would never be angry at God if we knew the way that our trials and suffering are good for our, our righteousness, good for our lives in, in that very way, basically the way that challenges sharpen us. And for a lot of people who haven't really lived, you haven't had that experience of these trials and these challenges, um, you're, you're untested in a way, yeah. That, that's why um, yeah, there, there's been, you know, over the last three, four years, kind of this series of... Um, very public, very prominent um, sort of evangelical celebrity figures that have fallen, um, not only from their ministries, but some of them have completely fallen away from the faith. And a lot of times there's this autopsy, so to speak, on their ministries. What happened? How did this go wrong? He seemed to be so vibrant and passionate about his faith and had a church of thousands of people. How could this have happened? And sometimes it was that someone was, was put in a position um, of leading that hadn't really been tested and tried and so, yeah, it was artificial in that sense. Yeah, a lot, lot that could be said about that. Yeah. Anybody else as we think about this tonight, as we wrap things up? Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's close with a word of prayer. And I look forward to being with you next week. I've got a couple things that I'm working on in terms of a, of a series that'll be, that'll be different. I don't know if I'll have it ready for next week, but really soon, God willing, uh, we'll have that soon. So let's pray together. Our God, we do look to you and we ask, oh God, that you would grant us wisdom. God, grant us wisdom in our homes, for those of us who are married, God, in our, in our marriages, for those of us who have kids as we raise them, our grandkids, great-grandkids. Oh God, I pray that you would give us wisdom in our jobs, in our roles here at the church, um, and everything that we do as a church, God, I'll pray, I pray that it would be guided by wisdom. And Lord, as, as Russell shared about the way that we often learn so much through our trials and difficulties, I pray, God, that that would not be lost on us, that you would remind us in, in, of that, uh, of your providence in that, of your goodness in that, and that even as we might have scars in our lives, God, yet there is so much wisdom to be gained. 
And so we're grateful for that, God. Help us to be reminded of that. God, I pray for just your blessing over these brothers and sisters. I pray that as they go from here, they would do so in in safety and well-being and contentment and faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And God bless you. Have a great night.